For those of us who have an affinity for photographing people, the most important skill to develop is the ability to earn trust from your subject. It's not about the lens you use. It's not about using the right camera settings. It's about your ability to connect with another human being, whether it's for a duration of minutes or years. Photographer Hunter Barnes possesses this skill, which has led him to photograph communities including religious snake charmers and prison inmates. He adeptly connects with people that are often relegated to the periphery of our society. The results are photographs that are genuine, raw, and beautiful. His multi-year project with the Nez Perce Native American tribe provides yet another example of Hunter's ability to become a part of the community rather than just an objective observer. Not photographed for a significant body of work for over a hundred years, the Nez Perce opened up their homes, their culture, and their lives to Hunter, resulting in a work that honors the people and the relationship they forged. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Hey, well, thanks for reaching out and uh, for sending me a copy of the book. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for uh, reaching out to me after that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, your story is really uh, interesting, not only in terms of what, what, what went behind, you know, in terms of the creation of this book, but just all the different projects that you've worked on. Uh, you, you chose an interesting lifestyle for yourself. <laughs> I totally chose a lifestyle. Like, it's definitely a lifestyle. And yeah, I question it sometimes. Yeah. So, so t- tell me about uh, how that started because, you know, so many of your projects have been about um, becoming part of a community for a time. It's not like, you know, diving in and making a series of photographs and popping out. It seems like from the very beginning, that was the approach that you kind of took to. And I'm really curious as to, you know, how that, how that developed for you. Well, this project, you know, there's a, there was an old friend of mine, this guy, uh, it was David Lundquist, he, he, the old rock and roll artist in the you know, kind of late seventies, early eighties. He was working with the Grateful Dead and some bands like that. And anyway, he, he, he kind of looked at me one day and he said, have you ever thought of documenting the, the Nimapu, the Nez Perce tribe? And I, I never had. And he said, well, you know, I'm doing all this kind of artwork for him for their powwow. Do you want to go meet everybody? And a few other friends that were living in that area had, had mentioned that. And I went out there and I, I honestly, I was really happy that they asked, but I, I didn't know exactly what that meant at that time. You know, I, I didn't understand what it was, but yeah. So we went down to the powwow and I met one of the elders from the tribe, this guy, Uncle Irving. He just said, you know, you want to come and stay here and kind of camp out. And he set up, you know, gave me a, a sleeping bag in his teepee with his family. And I stayed there for two weeks. The powwow was over after three or four days. And I just kind of stayed there with him. And uh, at the end, I met people at the powwow and I met some good friends. And they asked if I would come to the res and come and sweat. So, you know, they invited me into their sweat lodge, which was, you know, a big honor. Yeah. So I did. I, I went back to, I had this little cabin that one of my, you know, I was kind of backed by these old like hippie artist patrons at that time, which was cool. You know, it's a totally cool, but they, they basically, you know, I had this, this cabin and a, and this studio to print in for a trade of my prints. 
And uh, I went and got my cameras and got all my film and I, I drove to the res. They were always kind of laughing years later because they said, you know, everybody says, yeah, they'll come out and visit. And they're like, you literally just showed up. And <laughs> there you were. And I, I stayed. And for the people knew of my, why I drove out there. It wasn't necessarily a, a typical thing to be doing from what I was told. In terms of wanting to photograph them or just... I, I don't even know, you know, it just, it, it was so long before it had happened. It was a, the, from what they told me, they said, you know, this guy, Edward S. Curtis, they were like, Ed Curtis was the last one a hundred years ago that actually lived with the tribe. There's been a lot of pictures of powwows. There's been some pictures, but they were always kind of that joke that we always had. And, you know, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, they're good friends so we could joke around a lot. But they're like, they always want the stoic Indian, you know, they always, they always want the feather and the, the regalia and everything, you know, formal. And the reality is much different. So, you know, I, I, I went and I, and I lived there. And for the first, I didn't even keep close track on the time, but for over a month or so, I, I was living there and I was doing sweats with the tribe. And they taught me how to build sweat for the elders and for the kids, you know, for the families. And after about a month, they said, well, when are you going to start taking pictures? And I went, well, I guess now you asked. We should take some pictures now, you know. So, <laughs> It was, it, was, it was a journey, but I, I always felt from the beginning, from what I, what I was feeling inside from getting to know everybody, and also from what I heard, that, you know, there was, there was time that everybody kind of needed to get to know each other. They needed to get to know who I was, and I needed to understand who they were at the same time for anything honest to happen. Right. Is that the way you've often worked, is taking your time in terms of making that initial photograph? Yeah. Regardless I mean, of the group that you've been with? Kind of the only way to do it for me. I mean, it's, I mean, I think if somebody invites you to their home, you got to, res you've got to respect that, but to get something that actually is meaningful, that might be, you know, you want it to be truthful too. And you want them mm -hmm. first and foremost, above and beyond anything, you want them to love it. You know, you want them yeah. to be happy. Did you know much about the Nimapu, the tribe when you were initially invited? I didn't know a thing, man. <laughs> like I just, I, I, I was, uh, I was invited and I got there and like I said, I met this family and everybody was really good to me. And I just, uh, I was taken in with, with open arms and there was some resistance too, but I, at the same time I was really taken in. So I, I, I to me, it was like, wow, what, what a great group of people. And they definitely deserve to be documented and for their story to be shown. I was honored. They let me do it. Tell us what you learned about the, uh, the Nimipu. In terms of the history of their tribe and, and, um, well, so much I, I, I learned, you know, was, was from the families and, and the friends I met. And it wasn't, I learned lessons kind of from the inside from them, you know, mm. I, I learned lessons from uh, elders, kind of like how you learn from your grandparents, you know, like the, the elders of the tribe. I always say, I, I feel like I learned a lot of life lessons from them more than anything. I'm uh, sure that a, a lot of the stories that I heard, you know, a lot of their a lot of their histories is not there. It's missing. So much is missing because so much was just deleted a long time ago when the res was formed and when the settlers came. You know, they couldn't speak their language. There were there was a lot of things. So it was just a lot of late night talks. But like you know, the the main thing, and I've said it to so many people, but the thing that I learned the most that I always hold is just to listen to from within. You know. Yeah, because in doing my, my reading, you see the sort of you know the uh, the standard story of the relation between the the Indians and and the native population and 
and uh, the U.S. government, the mm -hmm. various treaties that were signed, and then you know suddenly later on when they realized that there was gold on all that land, and how they came back in and said, uh, you know, we got to renegotiate this, and or thought there was gold and there wasn't even gold there, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. worse, you know? <laughs> But they, yeah, you know, it, happened, it happened to them like three times to the point now that their reservation is a more fragmented reservation with, you know, different lots allotted to individual families, but not not in the way that most people think about a reservation being like one continuous parcel of acreage. It's like that's not happening here, which yeah. provides a, a different, you know, a different challenge for them as a community. Well, it's funny you said that because when I first got there. You know, like I said, to me, it was just a different, like, you know, you're living with people. You're, I, I wasn't there on a mission to like, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't take notes before I was just there and I was invited and I got along with everybody. All of a sudden you're there and now then you just make some decision when you drive there one day, like, Hey, I'm not going to leave. And one of the first things they said to me, as they showed me a map, exactly what you were just talking about. They showed me this map of when the res was formed and then the progressive movements through the year how it just got smaller and smaller and smaller and more land was taken. And in these very selective places that were really ideal, like beautiful spots, you know, on the river, or, you know, like places where people want to be that was kind of, you know, sad for me. It's like, so basically, you know, you're a nomadic people that really embraced Mother Earth. And now you got put here, but they just keep taking a little bit more all the time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what did you learn in terms of, you know, you said that you, you kind of really trusted that, that interconnection with them to learn from them. Mm -hmm. um, what you know, you're, you're, you know, fairly young. This is about 20, 20 years ago that you actually did this work. There's a, yeah, 2004 uh, to 2008. Yeah, so there's a, there's a gap between you initially making contact, making your pictures, and and today. So you're a much different person than the person who put together this this book. So tell me in terms of what your sort of mindset was at the time, and and how you feel like you changed as a result of being with them. Well, I, as I said, you know, they, I keep I keep always thinking to listen from within, but I was a much I was in a much different space at that time. You know, personally, um, you know, I mean, I was I'm 42 now, so that was that many years ago. You know, when you're 20 something, you're, you're definitely in a different zone. Time just is w what it is. You know, now I have a family. So that that definitely has changed some things. But, you know, it, it's kind of funny because for the, the project, I always said that I wanted it to happen at the right time in life. I always said that I wanted this to happen when it was supposed to be. Not when my, my intention was, but like when this is supposed to be. And I, I keep thinking about this is with all the stuff going on, it's really forced everybody to slow down. You know, we've all had to, you know, it's kind of like, you know, surrender and to, to a lot of things. And at, at that time, when I was taking this, I remember, you know, I was a documentary photographer starting off doing it all, but like this project was taking a while. And I just had to kind of learn to go with it, you know, and it was four years of going with it. it's different than going with it for two, three weeks. Right. And, and, all, and everything started lining up, but it, it felt right. So I just went with it. Now, all these years later, my publisher, Tony, he's like, you know, be open to this happening next, right before the pandemic happened. 
then it does. And things align where I'm, I'm thankful to even have a book come out at this time and to be, you know, talking to you at this time. So things are, things are going on. That's great. But everything really slowed down kind of like when I was doing that project. So it's, it's given me a lot of time to really think about it. And because of that, I, I found images that I didn't know existed. I was able to kind of like reflect back on these experiences and, there was a lot of lessons with timing that I learned from the tribe that, that if I would have put this out 15, 20 years ago, however long it was, it wouldn't be there. You know, yeah. that letter from the tribe, I would have, I, I would have like forgotten to show it. You know, I wouldn't have seen the significance of it. You know, everybody kept saying there's a, you've got to find somebody who's going to write a forward to your book to really like, and then I find this letter from the tribe and I'm like, well, what's, there it is. I mean, what am I going to get somebody from the outside to write it? Or the tribe wrote something to me back then saying, yeah. thank you. And, you know, in, in their language that that was meaningful. So I guess, I guess time to process, you know. And it's interesting that uh, you were doing all, all this, all this work, but you really didn't necessarily know that it was documentary photography. It was just what you were doing. And someone sort of helped you say, uh, that's what you are. Uh, I, it's kind of dude, I didn't even know there was a term called documentary photographer. I seriously had never even heard that term until somebody said, that's what you do. And I went, what are you talking about? And they were like, you're a documentary <laughs> photographer. You live there. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I didn't know, man. So how did you get into, you know, wanting to take pictures in the first place? I was really cool. Cousin Danny and uh, Danny Miller, man. And we were still tight. He, he, he came into my life when I was younger and figuring things out, you know, and I was like a young teenager and he was in New York and he was doing something real cool. And I just, I really looked up to it. Now it was like, you know, I was living in this small town in Carolina down on the beach. It's a great spot, but you know, I just got a young age was feeling a pull somewhere else. And he invited me to New York to kind of check it all out. And I went and checked it out when I was pretty young. I was like, well, yeah, there's more out there. I don't know. I, I don't know. I started working, um, you know, in that kind of commercial world at a very young age and then went to school. And when I got out, I just wanted to get on the road. And I did. And that was, I just started doing what I did. I didn't even know what it was. And what was the first what project that you worked on? I documented a lot of these uh, rural ranches that were out in uh, Northeast Oregon. Back when the families were still farming and ranching before all the big corporations came in. Back before, you know, they were kind of pieced off. But, you know, it was like... <laughs> It's funny, I, you know, these these guys who were like in their 90s that were old ranchers, like the old Marlboro man who never even smoked a cigarette and was the Marlboro man on the cover in the 70s, you know, those kind of people. Yeah, they, it's funny, like, you know, all these years later, they're not there. And so this 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 approach that you had of just starting to talk to people and then they're saying, oh, I, I got someone you should meet. And it sort of just basically moving in the direction of you making pictures. That was just something that just seems to have come naturally to you it sounds kind of exactly what happened and then it was like one person introduced me to another person and hey man have you ever checked have you ever met these people you know and it was like i mean it was a lot of it like i was just just on the road you know and people would introduce me around and things would come up in conversation and i i look back and i don't even know how i you know some of it i don't even know how i did it i'm just like I ended up there and I just stayed. From my experience and those of others, not necessarily even photographers, once you get out of the big urban cities, it's amazing how open and generous people in this country can be. 
I had some friends in college who bicycled from the most western part of the United States out to the most eastern part of the United States one summer. Mm-hmm. And they would just tell us stories where they would stop, you know, at restaurants and different places and people would ask them what they were doing and people would open their homes to them. There was one guy who they met at a, a coffee shop or something like that and he gave them the keys to his house so they could go take a shower. That's it, yeah. And it was just like, to me, being a city boy all my life, that, that I, I just like, my jaw just dropped, you know. But it's amazing that there are people out there that have this this feeling of generosity and trust and openness that I think has been lost to a lot of us who live in these big cities where we're always so fearful and protective of what we have. Yeah, but the old school, you know, what's funny is I'm from, I'm from the small towns and all that. And, and, and I, I think what you're saying is exactly how all of these projects I've done have, have come into place. I mean, you know, I've stayed in people's homes. They've invited me. To, I mean, for a family to just invite a stranger in and like sleep on the couch for like three or four weeks and document mm-hmm. your friend's life, you know. But at the same time, I always was really impressed by, by the families in the cities that like for me to be really young moving from a small town to New York City when I was a 16-year-old kid. Before I ever went to photography school and did all that kind of, you know, just started doing that. I felt like the city also had this thing where like people vouched for you. Like if they saw you come into the city and you wanted to go for something, they just kind of like, it was that really old school, like, I got you. I'm going to help you get there, you know, to go for it. So they both, they work, they both work together. I think there's a, there's a lot of love in both of those places, you know. And you've been shooting film for almost the entirety of all this your photographic career especially for for this work tell me about the choice to to stick with film even as you know the world has sort of transitioned to digital i don't feel like it has transitioned to digital personally i mean i feel like the i mean the world may have transitioned to digital but like the process that i love it is at a different pace and it, it has a, a feeling i feel like even film has a sound you know like when you oh yeah you know it's got the sound and like i also feel like a lot of times like certain cameras i'll i'll have loaded but a lot of times i'll just load the cameras when i'm sitting with someone so they see that whole process of like putting the film on the spool and then starting to wind the film and they hear the gears cranking and like it just kind of slows it all down you know because you know so much of the time it's a friend of mine jake said years ago and i didn't understand it until years later he said i feel like 90 percent of what you do is hanging out and 10% is like, you know, your technical stuff. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of it's just like having a relationship and getting to that moment where it's almost like, it's cool to take that picture. That person's almost like asking you like, okay, I think it's time now instead of like being pushy and like snapping a bunch of frames. Cause you can't snap a bunch of frames with film, you know? So. Yeah. Cause I think that the most memorable shoots I've had has been a result of me not running around snapping every photograph that I think might look might look good but rather than just being in the moment and then when something special is revealed to me I make a couple of photographs then put the camera down and jack back into what's happening you may not produce as many images but I have a it's a better experience well then you actually are living life you know You're not a total voyeur, <laughs> you know, it's like, just like, actually like enjoying. And a lot of it too is like, not just about the, the picture, the picture's cool. But like I was saying, first and foremost to me, it's like, you know, it's, it's great when, a, when someone in, 
I don't even want to say, but I'm just, it's great whenever people like it, but when the person that you take that photograph of loves it and you walk into their house and like you send them that personal print or they call you and say that they framed yeah. it, that's what's great. But like the friendship is awesome. Like out of all these different travels, you don't, I don't keep up. It's hard to keep up with everyone in the world that you, but you know, there's always a friend or two you meet on the road. And that's, that's the coolest part of it all. You know, it's somebody 20 years later, you're still talking to. You have um, some photographs that you took of uh, of a religious group that uses snakes as part of their religious practices. Yeah, yeah, my good friends in West Virginia. Yeah, I just talked to them the other day, actually. Tell us, tell us, how did that come about? So my father said to me, he was, uh, I was talking to him, and it's kind of like that. Uh, I was like, oh, that's a while ago, but he, anyway, long story short, he said, look, if you ever want to find a group of people that are really living to what they say. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, Serpent Handling Congregations in, in West Virginia, they are living under the true word of God of like, they take it very literal and they're, 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 they're kind of going the full mile for it. And I went, oh, really? And I didn't know anything about it. So I kind of looked into it and, and some months went by and I couldn't really reach anyone. I finally got somebody, Pastor Harvey Payne, nice guy. And I, we're, I'm still friends with his family and everybody down there. I love them. They're our family to me. But I remember I, I finally got him on the phone. I kept getting his voicemail. Finally got him. And he said, you know what? Look, you're a journalist. You want to come to church and take pictures? And I went, I'm actually not a journalist. I'm a documentary. And he stopped me and went, you got a camera? You want to take pictures and put it in something? You're a journalist. We've been <laughs> for so many years. I can't guarantee you get any pictures. But if you want to come to church, you're welcome to come. And I said, well, thanks. I'll come on out. And I, I flew down there. What was funny is uh, they got this great sound, their, their music. And I, I grew up around music and drummer didn't show up that night. And I don't know. I was just feeling it. The this, this spirit in this place and these people were really pure, you know, and they were, they were cool people. And I was feeling it. And, I, and they, the drummer didn't show up. And they said, oh, too bad we don't have a drummer. And I raised my hand. And I was like, oh. and they went, well, come on up. And I went, all right. And I just started playing. You know, and they started handling around me and drinking strychnine. It was the other guys just started happening. And two hours went by and they were like, well, you're all right. I'm like, you're all right, too. I was like, we're definitely feeling the same thing with this may be, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I asked them when the good time to come back in town would be. And I, that, that's how it happened. And they, they put me up in their home. And they I got to say, like, you talk about that hospitality from your friends. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was, I mean, exactly like that. They put me up in their house. They cooked for me. They invited my family to come cook for them. Like, you know, it's beautiful people. But, uh, you know, I, it was more of a, I always said it was a story about a family of faith, not so much just about the serpent handling. Yeah. yeah that's exactly what I was going to, my next question for you is like, the imagery is so striking in terms of the handling, the the serpents, you can get lost in just, you know, the drama of that. But it's like, there's so much more there other than just that. Well, that was a hard part because like everybody gets, that's initially why I was attracted to it. And I was like, and I I always, I don't really do a whole lot of research because I didn't want to get too drawn into something, you know, without knowing who they were. But it, it, you just felt the love of that community. And it's a, a small community, but that was really the story to me. And the, the serpent handling was, was what they did. But the, the real story was this family that took me in. Recently, I took part in a podcast festival. 
attended by hundreds of people interested in podcasting. Most are relatively new to the genre and are eager to become involved, and many of them have some wonderful ideas, and I wish every one of them the best. But the reality is that many new podcasts aren't around after a year for the simple reason that it's a lot of hard work. It requires time and dedication to produce a show, whether you release it once a month, weekly, or five days a week. That's especially the case when you're an independently produced podcast like The Candid Frame. So, we are proud that we've been around for almost 14 seasons. It's also been made possible by people like you who have provided us financial support over the years. And if you haven't already, today would be a great day for you to help us in the work that we do. You can do that by contributing $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Just $5 a month would make a big difference for us. Thank you as always for your support. You know, some people have described the different uh, communities that you photograph as as people that are on the periphery, you know, that are on the sort of the edges of it. Yeah. But, you know, in looking at the, the work on your website and looking at the book, I think that there are more things that are in common between all of these groups than they are that make them different in terms of how family, community is such an integral part of who they are as individuals and as, as a group. I don't get the sense that, the, you know, their outer, outer circumstances may make them very different. But the underlying thing is about this sense of who we are. Yeah. Um, is, that, is that something that you feel like? Completely. Is the thing that keeps attracting you? Completely. A hundred percent. I mean, I've always said it. I, I mean, it's just something I've always said. People are people. You know, I had a friend had something happen today and. You know, with all this stuff that's going on in the world around us, especially today, everybody's head's kind of in it, you know. And uh, someone made a comment. And I said, you know, it was, uh, it was from a group of people I'd, I'd been on the road with. And they said, well, how do they feel about this? And I was like, I don't really care how they feel about this right now. You know, all I know is that they had a heart attack. And when somebody's like dying, everybody's hurting. And so I send, I send my prayers for them and I, I want them to feel good. And I just send my best to them. And I think that's just how I feel like people are people in there's just a lot of different places out there, you know? Yeah. How long were you doing this kind of traveling where you would just, you know, hit the road and, and go out and spend time with, with people? Was this a particular period in your life where you were doing a lot of that? Cause you mentioned now that you have, you know, you have a family now. So I would assume that that's been tempered a bit. Yeah. Ish. I mean, you know, that also, it started, I would say, from age, an honest uh, age, nineteen to twenty, mm-hmm. twenty until I'm forty-two, and I was on the road until right before this pandemic hit. You know, I've, sometimes my trips are cut a little different. I, I started once. I, we have a three-year-old daughter, and that's its own journey right there, which I'm happy to be. I, yeah, and definitely trippier than any of the places I've been. Um, but uh, it, it's a uh, you know, I, I started traveling a little bit different where sometimes I would be on the road. Not, not too different, though, because even with the tribe, I was on and off sometimes. But now what I do is I, I, I would be on the road and I'd come back and then maybe I'd, I'd get back on the road again and go see everyone. And a little break is actually kind of healthy 
for your mind mm -hmm. while you're doing something like that. So you don't get, you know, just completely sucked in. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I've uh, it's been a very introspective time. It was a perfect time to put this project up and out because uh, you know, lessons learned come back to you. But traveling right now to me, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say something that's taken literally, but I always say like, uh, yeah, we drink from the same bottle. We don't use a glass. Like I'd always kind of, I'd, I'd always be with people hanging out, you know. So I yeah. you know, be close and like together. You know, right now that's not a thing. So, you know, it's a good time to be introspective and like looking back on things. But I, so how I mean, would you sustain your? How would you sustain yourself financially during these periods? I've been working on. Uh, thankfully, very thankfully, that people have believed in in the, some of the work that I haven't put out there yet. I don't know if it just came from like the real <laughs> and still quiet voice saying. It didn't time, man. It didn't time, and then now it's time. Now it's time. Going with that, you know. Um, so, were you, were you were you selling prints? Were you working like commercially or editorially? Were you doing just other side hustles? What what was going on? I've, I mean, I've always sold my work. You know, I've always sold. Uh, I've always had collectors and patrons behind it, and mm. that kind of came naturally from friends who suggested things and. But uh, I, I never, the, the commercial thing, I, I, it was funny. I was like, you know, at times, like kind of thought I'd get into it. And it just, it, somehow it always just kind of was always going back to like what I was focused on. So, yeah. So because you're, because you're using film, there's a, there's a big delay between you actually making the pictures and processing and printing. <laughs> yeah, years. So, 15, yeah. 20 years sometimes. So tell me about uh, the benefit of, you know, waiting for a good period of time before you start really looking at the work and, and trying to make something of, of the collective whole that you've created. I think that you actually choose the one that matters. You know, it's like you can be with people. I don't know. You know, I, I, I so in the, the first two books I did, they were self-published and I love them because they're kind of raw and self-published. Now there's something about yeah. that that I always love. But then I actually thankfully met my publisher, Tony, the guy of Real Art Press. And he, that guy believed in me before, you know, I, two people that really believed in me young. This guy, Mazdak Rossi from Milk Studios from the gallery and Tony Norman from Real Art Press. And those guys took me on when I was like, as they say, a young buck. And yeah. they, they, no, they believed in me, man. They truly did. And they, they were kind of seeing a longer vision. But shooting film to me, especially like, you know, especially this time, like there's a process. You, when you shoot a picture and you have a relationship with someone the way that I do, you get very emotionally attached to the moment and time that you're with them at that, like at that second, at that click, you know, you're like, you remember it, they remember it. And then years go by and you, you know, you, you like you edit and you edit and you edit and they got like a zillion red marks and blue marks and white marks and yellow marks after years and years go by and you find this one contact sheet that was on the side because you just were like, oh, that wasn't that second that we were hanging out that day. And you look over and you're like, oh, yeah, the B frame's the A frame. Huh. You know, you, you start mm -hmm. finding things. And uh, then you send it in and if they're still alive and around. You send it to this picture on your phone. You're like, dude, look what I found. And they're like, oh, shit. Wow, look at that. You know, so it's not always that clear. But there's, I think there's something with film that, within that soul it just uh, that process 
you know, it takes time, which is beautiful. You know, time, time is a great gift to have in life. Well, it must be interesting to have made those images to be so immersed with a group of people and still be in touch with them so that years later, when you revisit the photographs, you kind of have seen what's happened to them since, as opposed to have taken pictures of someone like, you know, once and you never hear from them again. They're just an image on a piece of paper. Um, what's that like for you? I mean, it's always like that weird, excited call, like and you haven't heard from someone in 10 years. You're like, yeah, you know, it's, and it's not like everybody. It's just that, you know, like I said, there's always a friend or two on the road, you know, mm-hmm. it's always, always, and it's good to have a friend. Man, you think, man, if you're lucky if you got one or two friends from all the people you met, you know, it's, you're lucky to have one good friend out there, but like, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's great when you can kind of look back on everything, but yeah, yeah, time gives you a different perspective on life so much. Now that you've done it so many times, you know, if you once all this COVID stuff is is over, uh, and you take to the road again, tell me about how how it works for you. Do you go out there with sort of a general plan, or you just like hit the road and go? I'll just drive east and see what happens. I've done it all. I've done it different ways. You know, I've done it just like gotten, gotten a ride and split been gone. And I've, I've also, you know, gone to destinations with certain amounts of time or gone to destinations and time passed by. You never really know. Um, I will say, I don't really, you know, I'll do a little bit of research into things, but not too much. Cause I always think people kind of get a preconceived notion of who somebody is from the reason mm-hmm. you're basically just like listening to somebody else's story. You're just kind of like, Oh yeah, this person lived with them and that's what they felt. And that's what they think, you know? So you kind of got to go out there. You just never know, you know, like I, I flip places where you hear certain things about people and you get out there and like, everything's all right. At the same time, I've gone to places I didn't do any research and ended up in a civil war. You know, you never know. So, <laughs> what's that about? What civil war was this? <laughs> the Sri Lanka was it? How'd you know about that? I, I was looking at your work. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, I didn't. I, 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 yeah, yeah, Sri Lanka. Yeah, right in the right in the rise of it. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was heavy. It was heavy. Yeah, I, I, I had no idea. It was. Basically what happened, I was going out there at that time because um, I was working with a charity, you know, the, the uh, tsunami had just happened and yeah. there was a ceasefire between, you know, the Tamils and the Sinhalese and all of a sudden, so I'm going over there to like go there during the ceasefire to like document some tsunami aftermath and meet some of the Tamil rebels and, uh, you know, to be guided around to, like, document the, temp- the, the aftermath of the tsunami. And, right. the and then all of a sudden, I'm getting on a plane, and I get a call from my old manager, and he's like, you don't have to go. Have you heard the news? And, you know, suicide bomber tries to kill the general, the army. And I'm like, really? And he goes, <laughs> you do not have to get on that plane. And I went, well, I spent all the money you gave me to go over there on all the materials to do this project. And he goes, we'll find another project for you. Don't worry about it. And I went, fuck it. I'm getting on the plane. And I handed a friend my phone and I got on the plane. And uh, yeah, then all of a sudden I'm on the plane and it's like me and two other people on a big, huge plane. And uh, that unraveled. Well, that's a story yet to be told, but that's, uh, that's one I'm looking forward to sharing. 
Oh, you're going to have to come back to share that with me. That sounds, <laughs> we'll that sounds fascinating. I would love to, but I just want to do it. <laughs> so like, I'm right now. It's like, I just started writing about it for the first time in all these years. I, I couldn't do it for, I, I had my journals. I couldn't even look at them. You know, the, the one thing I'll say is you get into a situation like that and you're already expected, you know, and you feel the expectations from everybody, but I felt like uh, everybody had seen pictures of the armies in the war. Mm-hmm. And I got into this little village and I saw the people that were living in between it all that had never had their story told. And I was like, this is where I need to be. And I, I stayed for a month through it all. Yeah. And, and uh, I'll say this, like a month in not long, but a month in that situation. It must be real humbling as well to, to, to see how good you have it. Yeah, you can turn the lights on when you get home. And you have water this clean. And, you know, I mean, I, I always said, like, when I got back from there, I never say you're starving unless you really are. Um, yeah. Do you feel that it puts a, the onus on you in terms of doing these people right when it comes to the work that you created and how you choose to share it? That's why I haven't shared it yet, because I'm only going to put it out there when I feel it's right. And, and it will do them right. That's kind of like even like, you know, the whole reason we started talking initially tonight about the tribe, I'm happy it happened now where I felt like it was if that they when they see this book and when they see the photographs, I want them to feel good about it. Have some of them seen the book from the tribe? Yeah, no, uh-huh. no, not yet. I, if the book hasn't been it gets released in two weeks. Um, oh, OK, well, I think so. I mean, a week or two. And um, I, I reached out to a couple friends out there. A lot of my friends also. You know, we were talking about the good friends that I've, I've made on the road, but a lot of my friends at that time were older. You know, they were the elders. They were in their 80s when I was living with them. So that was, that was a while ago. So some, some of them, it's like their wives are around or their grandkids or their kids. So I'm in touch, but not as in touch as when I was there at that point. So I, I, I'm starting to, I got some, I got the advanced copies. I go, uh, I've got an art storage that they got shipped to, and I'm going to go pick some up and I'm going to ship some out. But Oh, I kind of sent them on the phone type of stuff. How you doing? You know, um, that. I can imagine that they're going to be very excited because I know when I discover photographs of my family that weren't our, ours, like someone, a babysitter that took care of us when we were, when I was probably three or four, emailed me a Christmas card with a photo of me and my two brothers at the time. It's awesome. In 1968. And I remember, not only do I remember the card, but I remember the day the photographer came to make our portraits that day. It was something that was very vivid. And that's the first time I had seen that, that card in decades. Man, that's... You know? yeah. And it's just like it meant, it meant so much to me. So I can imagine that the people who see these photographs and, and see people that they grew up with and some of whom have passed away and to see them photographed in this way, that they're probably not accustomed to seeing themselves photographed. I hope it does. Uh, in such a manner, it's going to make a huge impact. I hope it does. I hope they love it. That's all I care about, honestly. <laughs> it's like the other stuff that I, I just really, yeah, I want them to love it, you know. And some of them have seen the pictures through the years because, you know, years ago, uh, I was telling a story to someone the other day of uh, when I finished everything. It's kind of a, people are going to say what they want to say about this one, but I, I was in the dark room. I printed everything. It took a long time to print all these through the years, you know, and, yeah. and they're all silver gelatins and editions of four, you know, so it, it took a long time. 
And I finally finished and I put everything in the box for the res. I put everything in the box to take it to the res. And I'm like, all right, now that I'm done and all this other, this, whatever's going to happen, I got to take this one box to the res and I got to give it to, to the people out there, my friends. Now it's been a few years since I was there, but I got to take this box. And it's second I'm saying this, man, pickup truck pulls up into the driveway. My student, the, the studio that's in Oregon where I printed it. It's like way out in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, what is this truck coming up in my spot? Like, what the? This guy gets out. I'm like, oh my God, it's Justin. It's a guy I used to sweat with on the res in Lapway. Oh, wow. And he said, man, I just had this feeling I was supposed to find you. They used to call me uh, Imnipu. So, you know, I was in Imnaha. They're Nimipu, Imnipu for Imnaha, land of peace dreaming. And they say, ah, I'm supposed to come find you, Imnipu. I just had a feeling I'm supposed to be a messenger. And I'm like, <laughs> well, as a oh, man, man. and they brought me some cow's cow's root from the sweat lodge and we were hanging out at my table in the studio just kicking back and and he goes i just had a feeling i was supposed to be here i said i was thinking i need to get there and he goes well if there's one thing you ever learned from us you learn use your telepathy and i was like all right. And I remember he got, the, he only stayed for like 10 minutes. He drove like all this way and he stayed for 10 minutes, got the box and went, Jesus. yeah, and he went and took him back to everybody. I was like, it's awesome. That is amazing. But yeah, that's a, I don't know. You know, people say what they say, think what they think, but it was a true thing. And I, I knew when I was done, I was like, something's right about all this. If that just happened. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? That's a, that's a special question. That's a special question right there. You know, you know, I'm going to go with my gut because my gut's telling me to say something. I thought about him last night and it's a, he's a cool dude. This uh, a friend of mine, this guy, Michael Zagaris, and he's done all this cool rock and roll work. But he did a lot of stuff for the 49ers. He did a lot of – did, did a lot. I'm not even a football fan, man. I don't, I don't even watch – I don't even know – I don't know a thing about football. But I think he did this project that people know about, but I don't think it's been seen. He's a cool guy, and I just think uh, Michael Zagaris or something just popped in my head, and I go with my gut when my gut tells me to say something. So that's 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 all I can that's, – that's that right now. I think uh, that something cool is going to happen with that project of his for some reason now. But, yeah. Yeah, thank you. No, that's great. Yeah, thanks Thanks for uh, being interested in the stories. Thanks to Hunter for joining us. Find out more about Hunter and his work by visiting hunterbarns.com. And if you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews go a long way in helping us to grow. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and our mailing list. On the YouTube channel, I offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners like you, while the mailing list keeps you updated with all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or make a one-time or reoccurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Michelle Elkins, Philip Hill, Jared Vero, and Tom Barker for their recent contributions. And if you are a member of our Patreon community, join us for one of our monthly Patreon hangouts scheduled for this coming Saturday. You'll find out more info on this on the Patreon community blog. 
We also provide a series of ebooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. <laughs>